Welcome to podcast number 33, Loneliness and Isolation, the Need for Connectedness. I think that I've mentioned more than once that recording a blind podcast is perhaps more difficult than I had first imagined. Now, what I mean by blind is that I rarely know exactly who's listening. Right now, all I really know is the city where the podcast was downloaded. I found it interesting and a little intriguing to speak to this kind of an open audience. Now, I do realize it's not entirely open, that I am likely speaking to members of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and that they have some interaction with mental illness in their lives. Now, beyond that, each of us struggles differently through these similar illnesses and in very different ways. We each have a variety of situations, cultures, attitudes in our own lives. And now in recording this podcast, I've come to realize how limited my own experiences might be compared to others. Now, I know that it can be difficult to reach out, but if you feel so inclined, I would love to hear from you and perhaps hear your perspective a little bit more and then tailor this podcast a little more to your needs. Maybe your question, your concern, or something on your mind is similar to others who are listening. Now, I've included an email address for you in the main introduction of the podcast. You need not tell me any personal details or anything at all very much about you. Just a short question, a short comment, anything you feel would be important to the question at hand. And whatever you feel is important to you. I promise that anything personal will never end up on one of these podcasts unless you specifically tell me. That that's what that you would be okay with that. Now on to today's topic: loneliness and isolation. When I think of this, I think of the nursing home, the widowed wife or husband, single adults away at college or on a mission, away from family. Of course, the isolation brought about by this pandemic. A deployed husband or wife, a divorced wife or a husband. My mind really gravitates more to those outward evidences that someone's alone, and I think most of us probably do the same. We equate loneliness with a loss of physical presence. There's no doubt that the loss of a physical presence of someone with whom we are connected can and does create a loneliness. A loss of physical presence of someone with whom we are connected actually causes a chemical reaction to occur in the brain. The brain and body goes into a state of mourning, sadness, depression for this loss. Now, it doesn't necessarily matter if we're able to continue to talk to the person on the phone or if we can even see them on the phone when we talk. We still miss them, as we would say. Now, this feeling of missing someone is the change in the brain chemistry. Don't get me wrong. Talking to the person on the phone and seeing them can help ease some of this, but it is it cannot replace their physical presence in our lives. Our natural chemistry desires to be connected to other individuals. When their physical presence is removed, it can feel as though we've lost a part of ourselves. In some manner, actually, it is very true. When you are connected with someone they actually will become and use a part of your brain and you will use a part of theirs. You will store things in their brain and they're going to store things in your brain. And this includes a variety of things from memories to locations to numbers to dates and so forth. Now you wonder why sometimes you or your friend or wife or husband can almost predict what you're going to say or, or why you think the same thing at the same moment. It is because we are in a sense using each other's brains and those brains become attuned to one another. So when someone leaves our physical presence, it can be as if we have lost a part of who we are. We also share emotions and an emotional connection with other people. We can feel their pain, sadness, mourning, 
sickness, and other types of empathetic connections with them. Now that connection, obviously, the depth of those connections obviously depends upon many things, including the amount of time, trust, love, sacrifice, and a variety of other things that we would do in those relationships to develop them. Now this connection that I'm that we talk about or this connectedness is not a binary on and off switch. So I'm not just connected and then not connected. It's actually we can have very different differing levels of connection to different people. But our level of connection matters very much to our overall health, mentally and physically, both to our happiness and to our spirituality. Now knowing that connectedness is important and actually being able to create it are, are two different things. Due to the longevity of my bipolar illness and the distrust of my internal emotions, also my inability to remain sufficiently stable to create long-term lasting relationships, I have found that I do not develop these relationships very effectively in my life. I certainly have a few of them. That include my wife, my parents, children, but outside of my immediate family, I have struggled to create them. Creating these types of connected relationships are really going to be difficult for those who suffer with mental illness. The very nature of our illness prevents creating equal relationships, and more often those with whom we do create relationships outside of perhaps our immediate family or even with our immediate family tend to hold up the relationship and maintain its stability far more than those of us who are suffering. Meaning that to maintain a relationship with someone who is suffering from mental illness would mean that at times much of the relationship management is going to fall on the person who is not suffering the effects of the illness. Now this can create stress in a relationship and a feeling of great inequality. So these types of relationships tend to break down over time if the person who is not suffering does not factor in the capacity of the one who is suffering. Mentally ill individuals have a tendency to limit the number of connected relationships simply as a matter of capacity. We don't have the energy, time, or ability to be connected to a larger group. Our minds and bodies simply don't allow for it. That is why the relationships we do maintain are so very important to our lives and to our illness. Now, I know that my inclination is to equate connectedness to physical proximity, but the truth is one can feel alone in a crowded room. One can feel alone in a group of friends, and one can feel alone in a marriage and even other committed relationships, and that is because our connectedness requires more than just physical proximity and casual conversation. It even requires more than a romantic infatuation or interest in another person. We must be able to trust the individual implicitly and have the emotional understanding that this person cares very much for our well-being. There must be a mutual love and respect between individuals. This is not the romantic or physical love, but what has been termed a brotherly love or charity in the scriptures. The type of love where both individuals care sufficiently to sacrifice for one each other's well-being. They trust at a high level that the other person cares as much for their well-being as they do for their own. They each work together for the happiness of the other person. Romantic love is not a requirement or need even be considered within a functioning charitable relationship. Nor should it be unless that relationship is one that would lead to such things. Romantic love and charity can actually function, these two types of relationships can actually function quite separately from one another. And they actually need not be combined. It is important for us to distinguish between that romantic love and those that charity in our relationships. 
A romantic love is a chemistry provided to the mortal body to bring two individuals together for the purpose of procreation and to provide sufficient time for them to develop a true charitable love between them. Now, romantic love was never intended to be the ultimate type of love that lasts forever that our society seems to think it is. This doesn't mean that this type of love must fade away forever and be entirely replaced by charity. It is likely to fade over time between two individuals as the deeper charitable love develops within them, but it can remain and it can remain for a lifetime and become in some ways a part of the charitable love if, the de if developed appropriately within the marriage. Now, those searching the cosmos for romantic love and placing that type of love above charity are really not going to find true happiness. The connected type of charitable love is the one that brings that true and lasting happiness. Now, the spirit and body require a connected charitable love for happiness to occur in full in our lives. The truth is, is there's also great happiness in the development of these relationships. The happiness doesn't just appear one day, but grows with the relationships we develop. The development and maintenance is actually the key to the relationships. They cannot exist without consistent work, compromise, discussions, priorities, planning, learning, and perhaps most of all, forgiving. They must be relationships where commitment is genuine, and so is the emotional connection. Now, this can be difficult for those whose mind and bodies are struggling with their emotions to begin with, such as with mental illness. But I have found that even those who suffer can build reasonable relationships and find happiness. Now, they may not be able to develop and maintain as many relationships as someone who is whole or without the illness, but I don't believe that more relationships necessarily equates to greater happiness. We should be content with what we can accomplish. If we need our world of charitable relationships to be small because that is what we can do and maintain, then that is what we do. If, it's cutting, if it is causing far too much stress on our illness to reach out further to others, then we will need to pull back until we can. There's no sense creating unhappiness through stressful reaching or goals that for the moment may not be attainable. We should create and maintain those relationships that provide for us and for others those beneficial experiences and do our best with the limited capacities we've been given. If our Lord, if the Lord had wanted our experiences to be different with the mental illness, he would provide, he would have provided that path in our lives. Now, as I have really thought about the effects of loneliness, I really wanted to communicate how one pervasive loneliness is in our society and two, how detrimental to our health loneliness and isolation can be. Now, if you've listened to my podcast for any length of time, you know that I don't quote statistics very often. But I felt that the two quotes that I do have give a good understanding of the scale of the problem and the associated risks. Now, most people wouldn't think that loneliness would have serious health consequences. But listen closely to the first part of these articles. The first article comes from the American Psychological Society. It's called The Risks of Social Isolation. It's according to a 2018 national survey by Cigna, mindful this is before the pandemic, loneliness levels have reached an all-time high with nearly half of 20,000 U.S. adults reporting that they sometimes or always feel alone. 40% of survey participants also reported that they sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they feel isolated. Such numbers are alarming because of the health and mental health risks associated with loneliness. Now, according to a meta-analysis co-authored by Julianne Holt-Lundstad, 
PhD, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University, lack of social connection heightens health risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having an alcohol use disorder. She has also found that loneliness and social isolation are twice as harmful to physical and mental health as obesity. I'm going to actually repeat that again. The lack of social connection heightens health risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having an alcohol use disorder. That loneliness and isolation are twice as harmful to physical and mental health as obesity. There is robust evidence that social isolation and loneliness significantly increase risk for premature mortality and that the magnitude of the risk exceeds that of many leading health indicators. Now, this is a second quote, and this comes from the National 4-H Council. They conducted a survey. Exactly how they got these 1,500 teenagers, I don't know, but they conducted a survey by the Harris Poll on, it was on behalf of the National 4-H Council. Now, this is in May of 2020, so this is definitely during the pandemic. Now, it says 7 out of 10 teenagers say they were struggling with their mental health in some way. More than half said they experienced anxiety, 45% said they felt stress, extra stress, and 43% identified that they'd struggled with depression. Now, just for some context, they say roughly 12% of American teens meet the diagnostic criteria for depression, and roughly 30%, one in three, generally meet criteria for having an anxiety disorder by the time they're 18. Now, that certainly depends on area of the country and a variety of other concerns. Um, these are some of the bullet points that came out of that Harris poll. 81% of teens say that mental health is a significant issue for young people in the U.S. And 64% of teens believe that the experience of the COVID-19 is going to have a lasting impact on their generation's mental health. In this stressful climate, 7 in 10 teens have experienced struggles with mental health. 55% of teens say they've experienced anxiety, 45% extra stress, and again, 43% depression. 61% of teens say that COVID-19 has increased their feeling of loneliness. Um, teens today report spending 75% of their waking hours on screens during this COVID-19. 82% of teens calling on, on America to talk more openly and honestly about mental health issues in the country. And almost 80% of teens surveyed wish there was an inclusive environment or safe space for people in school to talk about mental health. Now, I wanted to quote these couple articles for a couple of reasons. The first is to note the widespread problem of loneliness. Both articles put that at at least 50% for a variety of demographics. If you consider the number of people affected, especially teens, and the long-term health implications that we noted, one might easily extrapolate that loneliness may be actually the hidden pandemic in our society. Loneliness is a problem actually throughout the world and in almost all demographics. The second and perhaps most important was the note of the effects of social isolation and loneliness on both our physical bodies and our mental health. One might not associate problems of loneliness, depression, and mental health with such drastic implications as a 15-cigarette-a-day habit or an alcohol addiction. Mental health is not simply a matter of mind games and bad moods. Mental health has serious consequences to physical health outcomes. We need emotional connection as much as we need food, water, clothing, and shelter. We probably don't think of our mental health in that way. We don't associate healthy relationships and longevity or connectedness to others and a distinct difference in the way that our bodies operate. We don't prioritize depression, loneliness, and isolation like we do smoking, obesity, or a drinking habit. 
but they can be just as dangerous and far more difficult to overcome. So when, when we talk about social isolation and loneliness, it is important for everyone to understand that lonely, lonely individuals can appear outwardly to have friendships, be married, have serious relationships, have wonderful parents and family members, great children, but still be quite lonely and without necessary, necess, necessary connection. There are many lonely individuals who are surrounded by people and friends, but who have no real connection to any of them. Now, we need individuals in our lives who are connected, not just to what we like to do or what we like to eat. We need individuals who accept us for who we are and who we are actually trying to be. In other words, we need connected people in our lives who accept the good, disregard the bad. They encourage us to be better than we are today. We also actually need honest people in our lives who are willing to tell us when something's not right with our lives and that we are off the path. We, in this connectedness, we actually need people who will disagree with us from time to time. Now, this is to develop these types of relationships takes time and commitment. Now, I'm not talking about the romantic relationship, but one of the meeting of the minds where you both commit to really helping one another without concern for any kind of reward later. These types of relationships have always been difficult to develop and find. Now, society always talks about the good old days without screens, before social media and the internet, when people would actually talk to one another. Now, I don't doubt this facilitated some development of these connected relationships, but I don't think that proximity equates to a developed relationship. It takes some commitment on both sides and really to coming to understand one another before a, the depth occurs in a relationship with another human being. Now, while not all loneliness leads to a depressed state of emotions or mental illness, it does often affect most people in negative ways. For those of us who have mental illness or those of us who are dealing with mental illness, loneliness can increase the rate and depth of depressive and anxiety-based episodes. And it can cause serious health effects associated with that depressed state of mind we've already discussed. Now, in the last episode, I discussed the survival mode and the serious consequences of being unprepared for it, but also even the serious consequences of being there regularly. Social isolation and loneliness that occurs can cause survival mode to come upon people with mental illness again and again, um, thus weakening the mental state and causing for addictions and past difficulties to return to those who suffer or even new addictions and new difficulties. The mental health outcomes for those suffering with mental illness and loneliness are even more serious, serious than the ones noted in the article. Loneliness can be truly a life and death struggle for someone who suffers with, from a serious clinical mental illness. And this is especially true for those suffering with depression and mental illness. Now, the truth, however, that the truth is that loneliness is not simply a problem just for us who are battling with mental illness. It is a serious problem for almost the majority of humanity. This is especially true when the isolation is brought about suddenly and without warning. Loneliness and isolation can bring about depression, anxiety in individuals who actually have never experienced it before. It is not so much a problem that the mental illness has occurred or the anxiety or depression has occurred on, a temp on this temporary basis, but that the person who is experiencing, experiencing it, perhaps for the first time, has no experience or preparation for these feelings that have occurred. This depression and this mental illness, even, even if it's temporary, brought about by external factors such as isolation or a loss of physical connection or communication, can be far more difficult for someone who has never experienced it than for those of us who suffer with it regularly. They simply 
I have never had to process such difficult negative emotions and to work through them. It is important to note that we're each going to experience these types of isolations throughout our lives. Most of the time, the feelings... Most of the time, these feelings a normally, function, a normally functioning person would feel are often dismissed as homesickness or just missing someone. This should not detract, although, from the idea that they are similar to a depression and should be treated as such, at least on a temporary basis. Now, sometimes we can actually isolate these emotions and work through them if we are understanding the origin that it might be homesickness or whatnot. But don't get me wrong. These types of emotions can change our reality just like it does in a mental illness, even for a temporary basis. Now, the cure for loneliness is pretty much what it always has been. We need someone in our lives, someone who cares about us, will check on us. We either need to have charitable relationships in our lives or be in the process of building them for this loneliness and difficulty to abate. In the case where someone or several individuals have been isolated from us due to travel, deployment, emission, and so forth, we should expect our bodies to react, feeling almost like we are mourning for someone in a sense, that we've lost someone. Under normal circumstances and normal emotional stability, those feelings should eventually subside and give way to the new relationship. So this homesickness is missing someone should eventually subside over time. However, it is going to be incredibly important to remember that those individuals who already suffer with mental illness may not have a temporary reaction to the loss of connectedness and rebound, but might actually remain within a bout of depression or anxiety for some period of time. Now, my final note regarding the loneliness comes from this article itself. There are many people who want a safe space to talk about things on their minds. It's not a place online where you can say what you want. What they desire is a supporting relationship where they can talk through difficulties, problems, issues without someone telling them exactly what they need to do. They need a place to be able to tell someone that they have thought about suicide without the person assuming that they need to be hospitalized. They need a place to explore questions and ideas about sexuality, friends, drugs, racial problems, relationship issues, and so forth, where they won't be judged for thinking through a problem. We all need these types of relationships to help us, but I feel that in some sense we have lost our own sense as to how to build them, and perhaps that might be a future podcast, but my time is up for this week. Now, may the Lord bless you in your endeavors to help those who are suffering with loneliness and isolation. And may you fight the good fight and leave the rest to the Lord. Until next time.